The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. My heart for you today is just to see how big your God is. It's so easy in this world to forget that our God is big and he's in control. So let me start by reading you this passage. It says, the Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All who worship images and idols are put to shame. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord abhor evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is shed upon the righteous, and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. We want you today just to see God, and to know that he's in control, and to know that he has not forgotten you. You know, we live in a world of Mortgages and flat screen TVs and career and retirement and bills and medical appointments and Facebook and life is busy and it's crowded. It's very easy for us to lose sight of how big our God is. There's a great story in the Gospels, many of you are familiar with, where Peter and a bunch of the disciples, they're out in a boat on a lake and it's, it's getting towards nighttime and they see this thing coming towards them, and they're pretty sure it's a ghost. Because somehow it's like floating on the waves coming towards them. And they start to panic. They kind of start freaking out. And then it calls out to them, and it's Jesus. Jesus is walking to them on the water. And he says to Peter, hey, Peter, can you come on out here. And the crazy thing is Peter does. And, you know, supernaturally, magically, in God's power, Peter is walking on top of the water towards Jesus. And in Matthew 14, where the story is given, it's like Peter's eyes are so fixed on Jesus that it's almost like he doesn't even realize he's walking on the water and things are going great. And then, you know, we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if, you know, there was a little... Uh, a breeze that picked up some of the water and it kind of splattered Peter on the side of his face or if a, a wave lapped up against him. But somehow, all of a sudden, he realizes where he is. And, and his eyes move from Jesus towards these waves and, and what happens, he immediately starts to sink, right? In Matthew 14, verse 30, Peter cries out these three simple words in the fraction of a second between when he's here and underwater. He cries out, Lord, save me. And I love it. The next verse says, immediately, immediately, Jesus reached down his hand, caught him, 
and pulled him up. I don't know where you are today in your relationship with Christ, but I know that no matter where you are, even if you don't believe in God today, he's calling to you like Jesus called to Peter, and he's saying, come on out here. And many of us, we've, we've stepped out, right? And we've walked with Christ, and we've grown in Christ, and we've seen him do great things. We've had our eyes fixed on him. But if you're like me, life starts to happen, right? And whether it's medical trouble or financial trouble or just busyness or trying to raise kids who seem like they're crazy some days, getting woken up three times in the night when you only have five hours of sleep last night. You know, these these waves and these waters, they're so small compared to our God. But, but we turn our eyes to them, and the longer we look at them, the bigger and the bigger they get. And all of a sudden, people and problems and politics are really big, really scary. And our God is really small. And he's off in the distance. And, and what God calls you to do today is the same thing that Peter did, to simply cry out to him, Lord, save me. I don't want to drown in these circumstances. I don't want to live a life of fear, being afraid of all these things that look so big to me. God, I want to live a life where I fear you, and I understand how big you are, and I know that you love me, and you're in control of all things. And that's our heart in this series, God of Wonders. It's a seven-part series that we're starting today. It is simply for all of us to lift our eyes back up to God and say, God, how big big you are and and to speak to our own souls like david does in the psalms when he says oh soul for us oh soul don't forget god's big he's all powerful he's in control and he today has not forgotten you you guys know me i'd love to go through the whole book of isaiah 66 chapters We'd never, we'd never finish. So I had to pick my favorite chapter, which is Isaiah 40. But here's our big idea today. Your circumstances may look big, but your God is bigger. No matter how big your circumstances seem, your God is bigger. Now the choice is yours. Are you going to look to him Are you going to trust in him? And if you will, you will find comfort in him. Your discouragement may look big, and it might be really big. But your God is bigger. God is greater. Your God is stronger. And even if you don't feel that, you can claim that in your soul. That's what faith is. Faith is the times that we don't see it, but we choose to believe, God, you are bigger than this situation. You're bigger than that lawsuit. You're bigger than that broken relationship. You're bigger than anything I will ever face. And, and Lord, today, I mean, just ask him from your heart, God, today, would you get my eyes off of the waves? Get my eyes onto you. God, I want to see how big you are. Ask him that from your heart. Isaiah 41, verse 10, puts it this way. Do not fear... God says this to you. Do not fear. I am with you. We live in an age defined by fear. 
Fear of retirement, fear of politicians, fear of the end of the world, fear of zombies. And in all of this, you know, what does God say in the New Testament? He says, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Self-control, a fruit of the spirit, is, is a big part of us not falling into a habit of a fearful mindset. Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If you have a copy of God's word, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. As you're turning there, let me give you a, a brief overview of this incredible book of the Bible. The book of Isaiah was written about 700 years before Christ and incidentally has dozens of predictions about Christ that came true about who the Messiah would be. Who's Isaiah? Well, he was a prophet who lived in Jerusalem. I mean, right now, if you booked one of those Holy Land trips and went over to Jerusalem, that's where he lived. I mean, he was there, okay? The name Isaiah, awesome name, means the Lord is salvation. And in Hebrew, this, this word Isaiah is really similar to two other names, Joshua and Yeshua, Jesus. Under four different rulers, Isaiah served just faithfully declaring God's truth and his grace, his love and his justice. And rulers, kings came and went. Isaiah just kept doing his thing. And like most Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, incredibly successful spiritually and hated, persecuted, and eventually, tradition says, sawn in two by a king who hated him. Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament prophet, some 65 times. And he's mentioned by name. Uh, Jesus mentions Isaiah by name, as well as 25 other times that he's mentioned by name in the New Testament. And what's incredible about the book of Isaiah is that God used him, number one, to speak to the people at that time, to God's people. Secondly, he predicted what was going to happen in about 150 or 200 years, and that stuff came true. And then third, God used him to predict what Messiah was going to look like, and that came true 700 years later. And then fourth, there's still predictions of Isaiah that we're going to get to see come true when Jesus returns for us. Now, the setting at, at, at the time is, uh, imagine that I'm Isaiah. He's pretty much talking to people of God who have been wealthy, prosperous. They've set up commerce. They've got a good army. And as they've gotten wealthy and comfortable, as the generations pass, their hearts have turned away from God. And so here's what Isaiah tells them, the big purpose of the book. God is calling his people back to him. In chapters 1 through 39, God's saying to his people, hey, because you've turned away from me to worship idols, there's going to be some consequences for that that you brought on yourself. And I'm telling you, turn back to me because I still love you and I want to forgive you. And then in the second half of the book, starting here at chapter 40, he proclaims salvation, that there's a coming Messiah who we know as Jesus Christ. You know, all throughout history, especially the history of God's people, there's this trend. 
God's people will be persecuted or they'll be enslaved like in Egypt when the Israelites were in slavery. God will set them free and then he will bless them and they will prosper and they'll have lots of kids and they'll have successful businesses and and they'll have great lives. And then within a few generations of that prosperity, the the grandkids and the great-grandkids, they turn their hearts away from God toward idols. Now, all of you know that idols, you know, we worship idols today, right? Like flat-screen TVs, our careers, our waistline, big idol of mine. (laughs) We have our own idols today, if we're honest. Idols, of course, they're not real gods. They don't have any power over us in one sense. But in another sense, idols are very real spiritually because they're set up by Satan and by demons. Idols are demonic. And when you come to Christ, just like the Israelites were set free from slavery in Egypt, when you come to Christ, you're set free from sin. Galatians, it's for freedom that you've been set free. Sin no longer has any power over you. But if you choose to go and worship the idol of pornography, worship the idol of wealth and storing up as much as you can get, worship the idol of seeking people's approval for yourself, whatever idol you choose to worship, you give it power over you. And idols have a way, you know, back in the Old Testament times, slaves, they'd put a ring through their nose or their ear and they'd hook a chain up to it and they'd pull those slaves around. And idols have a way of doing that. So God's people throughout history, he sets them free. He delivers them and they love him and they live for him and they prosper. And then within a few generations, so often the hearts turn away from him. In this case, the temple that Solomon had built was still standing. But there were idols in it. Other false gods that the Israelites and the people of Judah were worshiping. And God sends Isaiah to say, turn your hearts back to me. And because this happens so often through human history, it's just as relevant for us 2,700 years later to hear from God, to hear God saying, you turn your heart back to me. That person, that thing that you're worshiping, that you're looking to for your security and your affirmation and your value, it's dragging you around by a chain. It's making your life empty And God says, turn back to me. I want to set you free from that idol. Here's the theme of Isaiah. Creator God, who we just saw demonstrated in that intro video, the most powerful being in the universe. He will use his power to judge evil. Okay, that's what the first half of the book is about. Rapists, murderers, they will be judged. Their sin will be judged. And so will mine. And so will yours. And if the story ended there, it would be be a sad story, wouldn't it? But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What is the cross about? The cross is about God himself saying, I will take the punishment for your sins, so that whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. Do you know that today? Do you know that your sins have been paid for? 
Do you know that when you read a verse in scripture that says, God blesses the righteous, that you can say, that's me. I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm pure. Not by any works that I've done, but by his grace that I've accepted as a free gift. You accept that gift simply by saying to God, God, I believe Jesus died for my sins on the cross. I want him to be the master of my life. Romans 10, 9 and 11. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ rose from the dead, you will be saved. God wants to give you free salvation so that you don't get judged for anything that you did wrong. And that's the second half of the theme here. God offers forgiveness, refuge, and comfort to all who trust in him. Whosoever believes will be saved. And that's the key verse of Isaiah summarizes this for us. But he, who's he? Well, it's the second half of the book. It's talking about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace there was that payment that had to be paid to set our account right. It was on him. And it's by his wounds that we're healed. So because God is loving, because God is good, because every good thing in the universe comes from him, then in heaven for eternity, there's not going to be an, a fraction of an ounce of evil in God's presence. I mean, think about it. The source of everything that's good in the universe, what if the source gets polluted? The whole universe is, is going to be polluted. God protects his holiness. So how can we who are sinful be in the presence of a holy, pure God for all of eternity? How can we get in there? Well, somehow we got to be washed clean, right? That's what Isaiah says that Messiah would come and do. That, that those who trust in him could be washed by the blood of the lamb. And that though our sins were as scarlet, we can be made white as snow through what Jesus has done for us. And so incredibly, this book that was written 700 years before Jesus really summarizes what we call the gospel or the good news that all of us who trust in Christ for our salvation will be saved. Well, let's look now at verse one of Isaiah 40. God says this, comfort Comfort my people, says your God. The word comfort is a pretty, pretty simple word in Hebrew. It just means to console. It's like what a mother does with a baby that's crying. And here God's talking to Isaiah, who's his messenger, and he says, Isaiah, I want you to go tell my people, be comforted. Speak tenderly to my people. Let them know that there's forgiveness. Let them know that I'm still in control. Let them know that I have not forgotten about them. Let them know that the Messiah who's coming, he's not another prince or dictator who will rise and fall. God kind of paints this picture in verse, well, we'll get to it. Anyhow, he paints this picture, you know, that we're grass. I think it's verse six. We're grass. We wither. We fade. We come and we go. You almost get the idea that for God, all these really powerful people, you know, the Vladimir Putins and the Stalins and 
all the great rulers of the world, they're like TV commercials. They just kind of come and they go. God sits over human history. And these people who think they're so big and they are powerful for their brief time, but they're gone. And no matter how powerful they are, after 70, 80 years, they're done with and they're out of here. And God just kind of watches this thing unfold. And even though it doesn't look like it, he's in control of it. And he says, trust in Messiah who would come to pay the sin debt and now trust in Messiah who's going to return with eyes of fire, with armies in the clouds to judge evil once and for all. Trust in him. Look to him. And look at this, this strong Lord God, verse 10, who has a strong arm, who's going to reward you for your faithfulness. He's mighty, but verse 11, he also gathers his lambs and carries them gently in his arms. He loves the little children. He even cares for their worn out parents, it says in verse 11. He's all powerful. He holds oceans in his hand and mountains in his fingers, verse 12. He's the wisest being in the universe, verses 13 through 14. There's, there's no enemy who's going to outwit him. There's not going to be a time when God looks back and, oh man, Lucifer really got me on that one. No, he is the wisest being in the universe. These nations with all their nuclear warheads and helicopters and, you know, China with its million-man army or however huge it is at this point, they constantly attack each other, right? They might carry away women and children and loot each other's homes, but what are they to him? Verse 15, they're a drop in a bucket that he carries around. They're grasshoppers. They're like an ant farm. All of us combined. And on and on the chapter goes saying this is how big your God is. So your circumstances, they might look big, but he's bigger. So trust him. Wait for him. Find comfort in him. James chapter 1 calls God the father of lights. And it says that every good and perfect gift comes from him. So he's the source, the father of lights. He's like the seed of the family tree, right? Every good gift that humanity has, and right now all the good gifts we have are tainted by sin. But we still have some good gifts, right? We have sunrises and sunsets and we have harvests and we have hugs and all sorts of great things. Every good thing in your life, trace it back and it comes from him. He's the father of every good and perfect gift, the father of lights, but check this out. This almighty God of power and judgment is also the father of compassion. All the mercy, all the compassion, all the love, and all the grace in all of the universe, trace it back far enough. And it goes back to him. There would be no love without him. There would be no compassion without him. I have good friends from my secular journalism days who say, well, I can't believe in a God because a good God wouldn't let all these evil things happen. And well, that's the whole point of the cross is that he's dealing with the evil things. But the point is, how do you know they're evil? How do you know what good is? How do you know what wrong is? Because he made you to know the difference. And he made you to seek for what's right, to seek for wholeness and health and mercy and grace and love. 
So the same God who's all powerful, he's also for you today, a father of compassion, a God of all comfort. The apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in what? Does he comfort you in some of your troubles? Does he comfort you just when it's really bad? Does he comfort you just when he's available because he's not too busy helping other people? No, he comforts us in all our troubles. God of all comfort. Isaiah 41 verse 13, For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I am with you. I will help you. Isaiah 49 15, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the child of her womb? Even these may forget. In other words, Isaiah is writing in a pretty, you know, pre, prehistoric kind of time, right? He says, yeah, there's some pagan people out there. They have a child and they throw it away. Even some of them can, but I will not forget you. I will never forget you. You're my child and I have compassion on you, God says, and I will never forget you. Well, let's just touch the surface today on a few ways that God wants to comfort you today. From Isaiah 40, first, Almighty God gives comfort in the face of advancing evil. Have you ever stood in the face of advancing evil? Maybe you've seen evil advancing in the life of someone you love. You watch as bitterness or greed or some other evil just starts to wrap around them. In human history, we, we, we see evil. I mean, you look back at World War II and you just saw the advance of evil. Right now with how rapidly our culture is changing around us, there are days when I read the headlines and, and not just national trends, but, you know, individual stories of people who've been wronged, you know, kids getting younger and younger, just doing evil things to each other. And it's so discouraging. And this is where God's people were. They were starting to get encircled by Babylon and Assyria, these evil countries. And because of the choices they've made, their, their grandkids are going to end up being slaves to these countries. And in the face of evil, God says, I, I want to give you my comfort. I can comfort you in the face of evil. What did Jesus say in this world? You will have trouble. It's going to come. But I give you my peace, fruit of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. I've overcome the world. So we live by faith. No matter what evil comes, no matter, and we will see evil take place around us, we can have comfort because our Messiah who came is coming again. Look now at verses 6 through 8. All men are like grass, verse 6, down to verse 8. But the word of our God stands forever. So think about this. All men, remember when all the humans got together and they built the Tower of Babel? All right, we're going to build our way to God. And God just knocks it down and makes them all speak different languages so they can't, you know, figure out how to try and become God again. We could take all our might, all of the nations, we could all work together to build the biggest, strongest thing, and it will burn away. We could spend our whole lives working on something. It will burn away. But with God, 
just a word that he speaks. Not even the stuff that he builds, just a word that he speaks stands forever. So take comfort today that this life is temporary. Your problems, no matter what they are, they're temporary. And God's plan for you as his son or his daughter is it's an eternal plan. Now, verses 18 through 20, to whom then will you compare God? And it goes on to talk about an idol. God's people have been looking to idols. You know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of leaders or husbands would say, oh, you want to go to that other dude who's not going to take care of you? Go for it. But God says, I'm calling you back. You've been worshiping these idols. They've enslaved you. They've left you empty. I'm still pursuing you. I still love you. I'm calling you back to me. So maybe today you need comfort because you've been looking to idols to fulfill you. God says, turn your heart back to me. I want to give you my comfort. I want to give you my peace that surpasses understanding. Look now at verses 23 and 24. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, the text goes on, he blows on them and they wither. Almighty God gives you comfort when you're intimidated or discouraged by powerful people. Remember when you were a kid, those dandelions that you could blow on it and all the little particles or whatever would just fall off? But God says, he says, that's what the strongest of the rulers of this world are like to me. The mightiest of the dictators. I, I kind of pick them up when I'm done with them. Gone. Don't let powerful people intimidate you. You don't need to fear anyone or anything except for having a healthy fear of your father who's looking out for you, taking care of you. Next, Almighty God gives comfort when you feel forgotten. Verses 27 and 28. Why do you complain, people of God? Why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. In other words, God knows what his people are thinking. So he says, Isaiah, tell them, I know you're thinking, why has God forgotten us? Why is he not looking at me? Why is he not looking out for me? Do you ever feel that way? He says, even when you feel that way, I want to comfort you. I've not forgotten you. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. In other words, he hasn't fallen asleep. He hasn't gone away. The creator of the ends of the earth, he has the power to help you. He will not grow tired or weary. You feel forgotten. God has not forgotten you. Do you feel overlooked? God has not overlooked you. You wonder if he sees your struggle. He sees your struggle. He knows it. He wants to walk with you through it. Look now at verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Almighty God, he gives you comfort when you're tired. I love this one. <laughs> he increases the power of the weak. It reminds you of a verse in the New Testament where it says, God 
Resist the proud, but give strength to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of God, that he might lift you up. All throughout Scripture says, if you'll just be humble to God and say, God, I'm weak, he'll make you strong. God, I'm tired, he'll give you strength. But it's the people who are too proud to say, God, I'm weak. Those are the ones who don't access God's strength. So today, just tell him, God, I need your comfort. God, I I need to see how big you are again. God, I want to be reminded of you. I want to love you. I want to... I want to follow you. Just just tell him those things. You know, in a really healthy marriage, spouses can just tell each other, you know. Hey, babe, uh, I know you're really tired, but, you know, I was really hoping to hang these drapes today or whatever. I don't know, whatever it is at your house. And in a healthy relationship, you just communicate, right? And, And you know that, okay, while we're both imperfect, my spouse loves me and they want the best for me. They want to know my needs, Well, God's the same way, except that he is perfect. So just tell him your needs. That's what prayer's about. I mean, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, it starts with how big our God is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's your kingdom, it's your will. And then it's just a list of needs. I need my daily food. I need my daily forgiveness. I need my daily help with my relationships. I need my daily keep me from evil. And I need it again. Deliver me from temptation. Because I really struggle with those two, right? That's what the Lord's Prayer is. Is go into your Heavenly Father and say, God, you're big, you're control. I need you. Oh, man, he loves it when his kids come to him. Pour out your hearts to him, the psalmist says. He wants to hear from you. All right, well, I don't want you to just leave here with a bunch of knowledge. So very quickly, I want to explain why perhaps you're not sensing God's comfort. Maybe you say, yeah, I'm in one of those places. I feel forgotten or I'm intimidated by powerful people, but I don't feel this comfort very quickly. It's probably because one of the valves of comfort that comes into your life is is turned off, okay? Three ways that God's comfort pours into our life. And the reason we're looking at these is so that you can ask yourself, uh, are the valves open? Is the faucet turned on? Or is God's comfort just waiting at the other side of the tap and all I got to do is turn the thing on, okay? Three ways God wants to, you know, just overwhelm your life with his comfort. The first one is through his promises or his word. That book is, is full of comfort and strength, but when it's closed, they're just in there. You open it up and you open up your heart. God's comfort comes into your life. It rushes in. If you've lost your love for God's word, go to Psalm 119. Even this afternoon, just open up to Psalm 119. You can spend the next couple weeks just going through Psalm 119, just chewing on it because it's full of verses like this. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise or your word preserves my life. There's other verses in Psalm 119 that give this idea that literally the word of God, it gives health to our bones. It strengthens us. And I can tell you in my case, if it wasn't for the word of God, yeah, I probably wouldn't be standing. <laughs> I mean, the word of God gives us strength. So, so do you have that valve opened up? God wants to comfort you through that. Secondly, he wants to comfort you through his presence. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, he says, do not fear, I'm with you. 
What does Jesus call the Holy Spirit who will live inside us, fill us with love, joy, peace, patience, everything that everyone in the world's looking for, right? The Holy Spirit, Jesus calls him the comforter in John 14. But, but scripture says we can, we can stifle him, we can quench him, we can put out the Spirit's flame, we can grieve him. So if you're like me, there's times in your life where you just have to go to God and say, God, you know, in the busyness, I didn't realize I've shut off the valve on your Holy Spirit. He's still in there, but he's grieved. He's stifled. Holy Spirit, I want you in my life. I want your power. I want your love. I want to follow you and do whatever God's will is for my life. Open up that valve. Third, God comforts us through his people. God comforts us through his people. We looked at the first half of this passage, 2 Corinthians 1. He comforts us in all our troubles. You remember that part? Why does he do that? So that we can comfort those in any trouble. How are we going to comfort them? With the same comfort we ourselves have received from God. In other words, God's painting this picture of a body of believers who when one is grieving, another one goes to them and says, hey, Here's some of the comfort that God gave me. Let me, let me give it to you. I, you know, I've, I've been through a miscarriage. I've been through that. I've been through that health struggle. Or I haven't been through exactly that, but I, I know God's comfort is real, and I want to give it to you. I can't say that I know exactly what you're feeling, but I know that God does, and he loves you. I want to give you his comfort. God comforts us through his people. So the question is, of those three channels, God wants to pour his power into your life, his comfort into your life. You know, think of them as three faucets on one of those big, long bathroom sinks at a Harkins Theater or something, right? Like all these sinks in a row. Are they turned on? Because God's comfort, it just, it's just waiting to flood into your life. It's not going to happen if you're not around his people. It's not going to happen if you're not in his word. It's not going to happen if you're not living in his presence. So, hey, congratulations. I mean, you're here, right? You got two, three. You got three for three right here, okay? Let me close with telling you guys a, a story about a sister in our body who found God's comfort through his people. K.S. Micah, a dear sister of ours who was part of the little core when God called me and Melanie up here, has been part of Cornerstone for 16 years. So I would have been 14 when she started attending Cornerstone. And I hear some pretty spirited laughter from the back there. She started hosting a home group back then. She says, it's been a beautiful experience of Christian fellowship and love. We've often helped each other in times of need. But this past two weeks have really brought new meaning for me. Uh, on Monday, she says, I notified our leader, Stan, that I wouldn't be able to host because I wasn't feeling well and I had to get some tests. So she goes to the ER. They admit her. She has a blood clot in her lung. And then as they do these, you know, tests that they do, they found she has a blood clot like the whole length of her right leg. So they, you know, emergency put in these, I think it's called an umbrella, you know, these filters so that the blood clot can't get into the brain or into the heart. She's in the hospital. She says, to, to say that I'm blessed to still be alive is an understatement. While still in the ER, Stan, the group leader, who's also an elder, came to visit and reassure me of the group being willing to help in any way they could. I was visited by several members, all giving me the same support. Artists went to my house every day to pick up my mail and newspaper. 
Denise and Jim visited and offered to take me and my car home since I couldn't drive. Sue offered to do my shopping for me or take me with her to do it since I'm not able to drive. Offers started pouring in to take me to the doctor's office, to church, or just to visit. Stan became a point person who organized these efforts. It was an overwhelming feeling of love. Do you see how she experienced God's comfort through what God calls the body? If you need a hug from God, usually you go to one of his people, right? We're his body. This is why our desire is that the vast majority of us would be in groups like this. That when life happens, when problems happen, there's people who can come around you and help you. Listen to this. Kay says, to have such a strong support system was a witness to the hospital staff. Think of it. A single old lady who lives alone has a major medical problem, but doesn't require... Those were her words, okay? Doesn't require any home services because of the support system of her church and other believers. That's the focus of our group, caring for each other. This is not the first time this has occurred, but in the past I was on the giving side. This was my first time being on the receiving side. Praise God for Cornerstone and for my home group. She says, interesting bit. She was reading in her devotions the next day, and Tim Keller had written this. God created all things to be in harmonious, interdependent, knitted relationship to one another. Just as rightly related physical elements form a cosmos or a tapestry, so rightly related human beings form a community. This interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom or harmonious peace. It's what God desires for each of us, and that's what Christ came to give us. And you're going to experience it in this life, in God's word, in his presence, surrounded by his people. So well done, for being here. And two questions I'll leave you with. Number one, is God saying to you, you got to turn your heart back to me today. Your heart has wandered. Return to me. Turn your heart back to me. Second, when your heart's turned to him, do you have those valves open for his comfort to come into your life? Are you in his word? Are you around his people? Are you encouraging the Holy Spirit to control you? Would you pray together with me? Why don't we stand and pray together? Father, Lord, our... our, Well, you see our frames, that we are dust. We are weak physically, and we're weak mentally. Even just trying to think about you for a whole church service, Lord, it wears us out. Holy Spirit, thank you that you help us in our weakness. You guide us in truth. Lord, we want to be men and women whose hearts are turned towards you. Father, right now across this room, we are laying down, we are surrendering our greed, pornography, the lust for the approval of people, the lust to make myself comfortable, to be king, to live for ourselves, to be self-seeking instead of God and others seeking. Lord, we lay down, we cast down our idols. Lord, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts that are turned towards you. Father, we want to seek you and we claim your promise that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. When we seek you, we find you. Lord, we turn our hearts to you. 
And Father, as a, as a child to a parent, we communicate our need to you. Yeah, Lord, we need daily bread. We need other things. But Lord, right now, we need to see you in our lives. We need your comfort in our lives. We need to live like this world's not our home. And, and, and we need faith. We need you to help our unbelief. So Lord, right now, we just, through our lifestyles, our habits, we want to open up those channels of your comfort through your word. Oh, Holy Spirit, through your daily conversation and presence with us. Lord, through your people, we thank you for your people. What a gift you've given us right here. Would you help us love each other? Would you help us to put our arms around each other and walk together towards heaven? Our eyes fixed on you. When those waves lap at us and circumstances start to seem big, would you use us to pick up our chins and point our eyes back to you? God, you are big. and You have not forgotten us. We love you, Jesus. We pray it all in your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.cornerstone.com. Prescott Cornerstone.com.